My name is Naomi Guy, and this is the Guy Show. <laughs> I am just going to let you riff. I think we get some good content out of it. <laughs> I was talking to the guy that was training us yesterday in like pre-employment stuff. And I told him about that statistic that like women are more likely to get divorced with like if they have like a higher education than their significant other. And he turns to me and he's like, you know what? The divorce rate's already 50%. What do you got to lose? <laughs> I think that's good enough. back to wild and date these guys i'm nami guy i'm joel guy yeah joel's still stolen by santa i don't know if this joke is going to make any sense based on the chronology of when we publish these episodes so i feel it's worth reiterating naomi that we are doing an episode on dr phil and it's no longer a surprise because even though the first time we recorded this it was a surprise the recording audio was all garbled and we were unable to use it so we're getting 2023 off to a great start this is just like getting back in the saddle when we first started the podcast when every single audio recording we did was horrendous and i'm really happy that we're bringing this podcast back to its roots I'm just sad because I pulled out some really good jokes out of my ass in the last episode, in the Dr. Phil episode. So, like, I'm going to have to redo that. And that's going to be did. hard. Before we discuss Dr. Phil, uh, we're going to do that thing where I try soda and tell you how good it is because we're not in the same room. This this week, I have Genuine Hanks, which is a pretty good name for a soda. Genuine Hanks Seasonal Pumpkin Spice Soda, which I picked up in Lawrence, Kansas at Mass Street Soda. Let me give it a sip. It's Okay. It has spices. It's not as spicy as I would like. The pumpkin flavor isn't very pronounced. It's a novelty. As usual, I'd enjoy it probably with a couple scoops of vanilla ice cream, make it afloat. But I say that about every drink I'm so-and-so on. So I don't know if that's an endorsement. Joel told me that he picked up um, gravy-flavored soda. So I want him to say that about gravy-flavored soda too. Gravy and vanilla ice cream could actually be a good combination. Sweet and savory. It's like cheddar cheese and apple pie. I need a break from you for like five minutes, okay? That we can come back. So we are talking today about Dr. Phil Naomi. We're talking about him again for the second time. And I want to quickly go over what we talked about when we were introing him. I think the important thing to stress is we spent a lot of time bagging on Steve Harvey in 2022. And we need a new target of horrible dating advice. Yes. Uh, and that is Dr. Phil, everyone's favorite daytime TV host, mental health guru, screams at you to make you better kind of sort of dude who um, isn't actually I, licensed which we all know by now. not currently licensed naomi come on be fair to the gentleman that's uh, but before we get into his background and kind of explain like why this person is worth digging into and why his horrible dating advice book is like worth discussing um i'm interested if you have any memories of watching dr phil growing up yeah, I watched Dr. Phil all the time growing up. I watched like the YouTube clips and they always made me feel really disgusted with um, life. And I was like, wow, the world is a scary place. Um, the world is a scary place. I don't know if that's Dr. Phil's part of the fault. Um, no, but he just like, I don't know. There was rumors that came out a couple of years ago talking about like how he, he his involvement with this like child farm, I guess the best way to put it, <laughs> like wilderness camp. And You're not wrong, was, yeah. 
Yeah, one of the ones that, like, Paris Hilton was sent to, and, like, he sends troubled teens that are on his show to this um, camp, and it's, like, it. this was a whole big conspiracy, and he, like, admitted that he was a part of it, and then, like, nothing came of it, and then it, it just, it got big, and then it just shrunk down very quickly, and so I also, when I was younger, learned that he's not actually currently licensed, um, mm-hmm. so he shouldn't be giving advice in the way that he does. Um, but I kind of expected, like, in the show that he has, that a lot of the things were exaggerated. But, you know, we'll we'll find out soon we'll, with Joel bashing on Dr. Phil. Yeah. I'm reminded of the book Holes, where they're like, you take a troubled teen, you bring him to the middle of the desert, you make him dig a hole each day, you won't be a bad teen anymore. And for Dr. Phil, it's like, you take a troubled teen, you make him ride a horse, they won't be a bad teen anymore. Um yeah, it's an interesting method of uh, solving problems. So let's give a little bit of background for our viewers who may be younger than us and not familiar with the cultural impact Dr. Phil has had. So Phil Calvin McGraw, better known as Dr. Phil, is an American television personality and author best known for hosting the talk show Dr. Phil. He holds a doctorate in clinical psychology for research like completely unrelated to practice, though he ceased renewing his license to practice psychology in 2006. So he is a doctor. He is not currently someone who is like, credentialed to be giving out advice, except if you're on daytime TV where anything goes. Um, so he did work initially before he did consulting as a, um, a as a small businessman. He and his father worked on a gr- group in Texas that were presenting uh, self-help seminars. He also then sold that company and co-founded a company in 1990 called Courtroom Sciences, Inc., with lawyer Gary Dobbs. Uh, So basically it's a trial consulting firm which provides services in US litigation, psychology, jury selection, trial consulting, witness training, and depositions. Uh, They advise top trial lawyers, every major airline in the world, and dozens of Fortune 500 companies. So Dr. Phil, through this, got involved with a little woman named Oprah Winfrey. Have you heard of her? I haven't, who is Oprah Winfrey? Oprah Winfrey had this small talk show that, you know, a couple people watched. It wasn't that big of a detail. You get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car. You get a therapist, and you get a therapist, yeah. Um, Actually, talking about Oprah's relationship advice might be the next frontier for us, but we'll save that for another day. But basically, in 1995, Oprah was involved in a lawsuit because she had a guest on her show who was insulting the American Beef Trusts. And I dug into this a little, but basically the Texas Beef Trusts had passed some sort of law that was like, if you're disparaging us and that causes us to lose market share, we can sue you. And so at stake was anywhere between hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars, because after Oprah had like aired this episode where the guest was talking about how horrible American beef is, um, their market share dropped significantly. Uh, so she hired him. Uh, eventually, I think it was it wasn't settled. I think the whole thing was dropped because the judge was like, you can't really, you know, call out people like this. You can't directly attribute like their comments to decline in market prices. And so she was really impressed by the fact that her company didn't go under as a result of this. And so um, they had some sort of relationship form. Um, so after 1998, when the trial ended, she invited him to appear on her show. His appearance was so successful that he became began appearing weekly as a really- relationship and life strategy expert on Tuesdays, starting in April of 1998. Uh, I should mention that a lot of this is from Wikipedia, but I am interjecting comments that I've done additional research on. 
In 2002, so four years after he started appearing on Oprah, he formed Petresky Productions and launched his own syndicated daily television show. It was produced by Oprah Winfrey's Harpo Studios. Um, so this was kind of like how The Simpsons started as a sketch on the Tracy Ullman show and then became their own thing because they were so popular. Dr. Phil spilled out of the Oprah Winfrey show to become his own like self-help show. It's also, you can also draw some parallels between this and the Dr. Oz show. Uh, which I think more people are aware of the cultural impact and some of the dangers Dr. Oz has perpetuated. Um, but again, it's Oprah Winfrey giving someone a platform, presenting them as an expert, and then using the credentials and the connections with Oprah in order to build their brand. Um, so you might think, well, what, what's you know the big deal? It's this tiny talk show. Well, actually, it's one of the most popular shows on TV and has been for like the past two decades. So he got paid $15 million a year. He was ranked fourth in 2007 by Nielsen Media Research in all TV with 6.69 million daily viewers. About one year later, on May 12, 2008, the show was ranked sixth with 5.69 million viewers. In 2008, the only talk show more popular than Dr. Phil was The Oprah Show. So he's appeared on the Forbes Celebrity 100 list. He was the top syndicated show in 2018 for different brackets. And by 2020, he was the 22nd spot on the Forbes Celebrity 100 list with annual earnings of $65.5 million. So slightly less money than someone like, say, Steve Harvey, but still he's making a decent chunk of change. So there have been some controversies. Uh, he lent his name and image to a line of nutritional supplements, and uh, it turned out that they were making false claims, and so they had to be a payout for that. He was involved in a scandal in 1988 with the Texas State Board of Examiners of Psychologists determined that he had hired a former patient. You're not supposed to hire former patients. There's conflicts of interest there. Uh, there was also some accusations of inappropriate contact initiated by Dr. Phil, but there was no evidence of that. Uh, and that thing was dropped. Beyond that, um, his advice and methods have drawn criticisms from both fellow psychotherapists as well as non-experts. His critics regard advice given by him at best to be simplistic and at worst ineffective or harmful. The National Alliance on Mental Illness called McGraw's conduct in one episode of his TV show unethical and incredibly irresponsible. McGraw said in 2001 Sun Sentinel interview that he never liked traditional one-on-one -on -one counseling. You know, the thing they teach in schools, the way to like solve problems. And that I'm not the hush puppies pipe and let's talk about your mother type of psychologist. So you have someone who has a doctorate in psychology who's incredibly dismissive of the field of psychology, which is interesting. You might think that might influence his opinions into thinking that he knows better than other people and to do a lot of things that have sketchy medical research backing them up. I don't know. We, we may get into that in like a minute or two. The other problem that was noted by a Ohio State University study in 2016 um, is that viewers were more likely to seek professional mental health care for themselves and their children after seeing him deal with similar issues on the Dr. Phil show. And so you might say, well, that's actually a good thing because like we don't have good mental health care or like knowledge of mental health in this country. Uh, the problem is it's kind of like when you go on WebMD and you look up like, well, why do I have this rash? And all of the results they give you are cancer. And so you're like increasingly concerned you have cancer, not just a normal rash that's going to go away in two or three days. So he's popularizing these concepts, 
without giving people like the knowledge they need in order to like figure out if it's something that's applicable to them. So arguably it's just wasting a lot of mental health resources. So it's good that I guess he's giving widespread awareness to this stuff, but also bad that like a lot of viewers are interpreting that as, oh no, this is something I should have and something I should seek professional help for. You're taught uh, that thing. when you take psychology in college, you're taught that that you're not supposed to self-diagnose. They're, they, like, warn against it. They're like, you're going to have a tendency to do this. Don't do it. And everybody still does. And what you should do instead is get, like, a bald man with a mustache to scream at you about how you're, like, a failure of a human being. Yeah. At least yeah. it's all Steve Harvey. One thing that I found very funny when reading this book, Dr. Phil's Relationship Rescue, is he dedicates it to his wife his wife, Robin Joe McGraw. And that's weird because he speaks in such glowing terms of his wife, Robin Joe McGraw, but she's not his first wife and he never mentions his first wife. Uh, Wikipedia touches upon this. Uh, he married his first wife, Debbie Higgins McCall in 1970 when he was 20. According to her, the reason they divorced was that he was domineering and would not allow her to participate in the family business. She claimed she was confined to domestic duties and instructed to begin lifting weights to improve her bust line. She also made the accusation that infidelity had ended their marriage. And I could find no information about this. I, I, I have to wonder if Dr. Phil has ever told people who have bad marriages on a show, like, have you considered lifting weights to improve your bust line, to improve your husband's attractiveness? <laughs> yeah. Ew. Yeah. So more recently, in the last five years, there's been more critical reevaluations of, like, the person Dr. Phil is. And there's been a lot of accusations that, like, both he's not helping people and that the show environment itself is, like, really destructive to the people who work there. Um, so statnews.com in 2017 did a piece in collaboration with the Boston Globe. Uh, David Armstrong from Stat and Evan Allen from the Boston Globe did this piece in December 2017 called Dr. Phil Says He Rescues People from Addiction. Other people say his show puts guests' health at risk. So the article starts and says he had one survivor, the reality TV test of grit and strength. But Todd Herzog was so drunk when he appeared on the Dr. Phil show in 2013 that he had to be carried onto set and lifted into a chair. I've never talked to a guest who was closer to death, show host Phil McGraw declared on camera. TV viewers, however, didn't see the setup for this shocking scene. Herzog, who was battling alcoholism, told Stat in the Boston Globe that he was not intoxicated when he arrived at the Los Angeles studio. In his dressing room, he said, he found a bottle of Smirnoff vodka. He drank all of it, then someone handed him a Xanax, saying that it would help calm his nerves. So the former winner of Survivor, who dealt with a lot of substance abuse issues after his sudden rise to fame and glory, uh, dealt with alcoholism and went on the Dr. Phil show to get advice about his alcoholism. And allegedly, the Dr. Phil show planted a large bottle of vodka in his room and had him get incredibly drunk before he went out on stage. Why would you um, go article... on TV to help battle your alcoholism? Like, that's my question. Like, I know you're probably getting paid it's to battle. Go ahead. It's an interesting question. It's not one that I've, like, found answers to in all the articles. The one answer I maybe came up with is a lot of the guests get free treatment from different clinics that Dr. Phil recommends them to. Like the clinics find that the Dr. Phil endorsement, the Dr. Phil brand is so valuable that they're more than willing to give like free treatment to people who are dealing with, I don't know, um, 
uh, what's the thing where you steal stuff you know kleptomania, kleptomania. Um, alcoholism like sex addiction whatever like uh i i think that's the big thing where mental health treatment especially for people who don't have insurance is incredibly expensive so people will go on television and potentially humiliate themselves to hundreds of thousands of people in return for you know tens of thousands of dollars quote unquote free treatment yeah so if that was a one-off you might think oh well you know, maybe this guy's lying or maybe he's mistaken. Uh, but it, the problem goes deeper than that. Um, so as the article continues, in its pursuit of ratings, the Dr. Phil show has put at risk the health of some of the guests it purports to help, according to people who have been on the show and addiction experts. Guests have been left without medical help as they face withdrawal from drugs, a Boston Globe investigation has found. And one person said she was directed by a show staff member to an open air drug market so she could find heroin for her detoxing niece. Guests confront a painful and potentially dangerous detox as they wait up to 48 hours in hotel rooms for their scheduled taping, leading some to look for illegal drugs. One guest bought heroin with the knowledge and support of show staff, according to a family member. Another guest, who was pregnant, was filmed by a show staffer while searching for a dealer on Skid Row in Los Angeles. So, yeah, they're directly supporting people who have drug addictions and alcohol alcohol addictions and, you know, who, who have <laughs> these problems, either giving them, you know, the tools to feed their addictions or directing them to places where they can find um, help. So that's, you know, a little concerning. <laughs> it raises questions. It all, about like, when you have this big of an audience, you want to keep your ratings up so you can keep your show so you can keep the money that is given to you. So none of this is surprising to me. Like you keep, yeah all this information i'm like this isn't surprising in the least like you see all of this like um that this power influx that people get when they start like making this much money and it doesn't like surprise me that dr phil is one of those people too yeah what's interesting is this like abuse and culture that encourages it is reflected both on people who appear on the show and the staff members. Uh, BuzzFeed did an investigation in 2022, beginning of the year in March. It was an article written by Christy Lee and Doley. Current and former Dr. Phil employees say that the set is a toxic workplace. Behind the scenes, a dozen current and former employees say they experienced verbal abuse in a workplace that fosters fear, intimidation, and racism. Seven of the employees also say guests who are often brought onto the show when they're in already vulnerable states are manipulated and treated unethically. Despite working on the TV show that purports to help people, 11 of the employees, all of whom asked to remain anonymous because they fear retaliation, say their own mental health was damaged and disrupted at the expense of working for Phil McGraw. Everyone was pretty miserable. You would just walk into the building and there was palpable dread and anxiety, one former employee said. Dr. Phil, the show about mental health where everyone who works on it has terrible mental health because our work conditions were really bad. Now, none of the people BuzzFeed spoke to witnessed McGraw directly engaging in the sort of toxic and abusive behavior they said they experienced from others on the set or believe he even saw the abuse. However, two current and 10 former employees, it was common to be screamed at and berated by executive producer Carla Pennington and other senior level staffers. How can he not know, said 31-year-old Tiffany Clark, who's part of Paramount Pictures' rotating page program, which included work on Dr. Phil from 2019 until 2020. This sounds um, like the other Ellen. fun thing is apparently this sounds it like does sound like Ellen. Yeah. I don't know what it is about daytime talk show hosts. You just have it going on for so long. Um, and you just turn bad. 
Yeah. The other fun thing is a lot of staffers who are individuals of color uh, mentioned that they were encouraged to perpetuate racial stereotypes about their specific ethnicity or skin tone while they appeared on camera. So that's 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 so hot. But the last thing which came up in 2021, also through a BuzzFeed News investigation, is the general treatment of guests outside of like directly encouraging their alcoholism and addiction behaviors. Uh, So in an article called Dr. Do Nothing by Sketchy Cool, um, the author argues that one of the biggest problems with Dr. Phil is that mental health care around the country is lacking. Affordable care is hard to access, and that's if you have any coverage at all. Television therapy, then, is what people get instead. And McGraw doesn't just give bad advice, but he openly mocks the people coming to him for help. What may have started as a show intended to make therapy and open communication more accessible to people at home has warped into a creepy exploitative program. He also focuses increasingly on women and teenage girls who have been abused, meaning the show is now designed to go after people who can rarely defend themselves against a television bandwidth. Dr. Phil is just Jerry Springer in a better suit. Uh, They also note that he's still incredibly successful. In July of 2019, Dr. Phil hit 150 weeks as the top-rated syndicated daytime talk show with an average daily audience of 2.9 million viewers. Even in reruns, he kills. So they give a couple of examples. I don't know. There's so many channels on TV. You'd think there's more besides reruns, but maybe that's, you know, how you run a successful channel is just half the stuff you're putting out is just old stuff you're recycling. Yeah. So the author says most Dr. Phil episodes traffic in what I call schadenfreude television episodes aren't really about helping the people who come on the show as much as they are about scolding whoever is is the most in the wrong. The trouble is that is as true in mental health cases, the bad guy is often also the person who needs the most care and empathy. In a February episode from last year, 24-year-old Gabby appears on the show. Two couples who she promised to bear children for confront her. They never met her before. The arrangement was in entirely online. Gabby was indeed never pregnant. In fact, she's infertile and chronically ill with life expectancy of around 30 years. Gabby's father explains that his daughter has psychosis, has bipolar disorder, struggles struggles with structured learning, and has special needs. Her mother died a few years ago, which was around the same time that some of Gabby's mental health issues began emerging. At the same time, she was constantly bullied at school. Gabby isn't just some mean girl on the internet who wanted to mess with strangers. That's too simple a story. So she promised two couples that she would have children for them. The scam in question was not illegal because she never asked for money or items from the couple she lied to. It's just tragic, hurtful behavior from someone deeply isolated and in dire need of mental health care for multiple past traumas. Most of the episode focuses on the producers following Gabby around backstage, begging her to come on stage when she clearly doesn't want to. They call her difficult and volatile, and although she signed an appearance release, it's not clear to the audience that she's read and understood it. When a producer asks her on camera to confirm she understands the waiver, she doesn't respond and covers her face with the pages. But she's certainly remorseful and seems to feel guilty. In a pre-taped interview, Gabby cries to the producers, I just want to say sorry to everyone I've hurt. When she walks off the stage in anguish, McGraw sips his water and sighs. The episode is nearly unwatchable. And then the author points out that as Dr. Phil's success continued, he started to rely on an entirely different group of erratic, frustrating, and vulnerable people, teenage girls. So this is something we discussed when we first taped this, and I want to go back to it. In 2016, then 13-year-old Danielle Brigoli was interviewed by McGraw on an episode called I Want to Give Up My Car-Stealing, Knife-Wielding, Twerking 13-Year-Old Daughter Who Tried to Frame Me for a Crime. 
You likely know Bregoli as Bad Barbie, who barked at the audience, cash me outside, how about da, when they laughed at her absurd blacksent and put on a tough girl attitude. But Bregoli was barely a teenager, and her first appearance on Dr. Phil made her a cultural oddity while the show got a viral attention injection. So she was referred to Turnabout Ranch, a therapeutic boarding school in Utah for troubled teenagers. It's a real working ranch, as McGraw loves to remind his guests when he presents it as the last-ditch option for their kids. Periodically, you get an update from the ranch. Bregoli herself gave an update from atop a horse without the fake accent. I just feel okay with who I am now, she says in the segment. I don't have to put on a front to impress anyone. But in 2018, on her song Bad Barbie Story, outro, she talks about her experience far less favorably. It was pretty miserable. I did not know what was going on in the real world. That place was far away from anything. There wasn't even service there, she says. A couple weeks after being home, I finally decided I want to meet up with my best friend again, someone who was not good for me at all. Instantly, I'd say it was the next day. We get back to doing our old shit again. Smoking, trying to finesse people for money, just doing really, really dumb shit. When she rejoined social media after she got home from the school, she realized she was already a meme because of the Dr. Phil segment. Why wouldn't she then lean into her worst behavior? She was already famous for it. Her name and face published and memed and then republished and memed again. So they say she's one of the most famous examples, but you can search Dr. Phil Teenager on YouTube and that'll give you all sorts of results, um, such as young privileged in a deadly gang in 2014. And while teenagers of all ilks are featured on the show, McGraw seems to take the most aggressive approach with teenage girls. Their vulnerable private moments, screaming and crying at home, are used on the show until the very end when the parents decide to turn them to the turnabout ranch. The farewells always come right after and after the taping segment, during which the girls break down over being sent to a facility in another state that they never heard of, against their will, by their parents they don't already trust. And do they get better? Who knows? There are rarely any updates on any of these kids. They're seen for an episode or two and then forgotten, just another blip in Dr. Phil's decades-long oeuvre. So, besides me mispronouncing half the words in that, um, <laughs> I feel one of the big takeaways in that last paragraph is... We don't know if Dr. Phil works. Sometimes he'll bring people back for like 10 episodes. Um, he'll have, you know, like broken families on and like discuss them throughout like the years, how they're changing, how they're evolving, how they're, you know, slipping back into bad habits, which arguably would indicate that he's not successful if these people appear on his show 10 separate times and haven't fixed any of their issues. But also like, there are lots of people, there are hundreds of these episodes, and there are you know dozens, hundreds, thousands of people who've appeared on these who we never hear from again. All we probably can guess is that their lives were destroyed when people in their community saw them, you know, at their very worst on a Dr. Phil show. Uh, we don't know if they like ever solved the mental health issues or like struggles they were dealing with. Well, it's just now, so bad that they can't, like, keep their eyes off the TV. Like, for instance, with Bad Baby, she like, took that and ran that idea of like the messed up teen and took that and ran with it and so now that she's 18 i think she turned 18 in 2022 she started um an only fans and made like a million dollars overnight like in the first 20 oh, hours, she made like a million dollars because her everybody's eyes were already on her and they were like oh well now i can like make even more money off of it I really would love to see the background stats of OnlyFans because I don't know if like she's a popular figure among people her own age or just people who are significantly older than her who use her as like 
emblematic of all the problems of teens. And if that's the case, Dr. Phil just set someone down a path for like a bunch of adults to criticize and then like gawk over when they subscribe to her OnlyFans account. No, he's just taking advantage of these like uh, of these families that are like, oh, I want to have my 15 minutes of fame. And the people that are watching these Dr. Phil episodes can't turn their eyes away. And it just like perpetuates this like never ending cycle of the more attention you give to Dr. Phil, the more he's going to take advantage of these families. Yeah. Um, so the author does point out that McGraw is not the first to traffic in messy human behavior. Phil Donahue, Jenny Jones, and even Oprah did all the time in their heyday. But again, he's espousing mental health advice. There's a belief you're, excuse me, there's a belief that you're coming on the show to be mended in some way, not to be mocked and jeered at by a live studio audience. In 2004, McGraw did an interview with the family of a nine-year-old boy whose parents said he was violent and abusive, namely to his younger sister. McGraw said his child, the child in question had nine of the 14 characteristics of a serial killer. Jeffrey Dahmer had seven, he said. Dr. Phil purports to be a mental health professional, but he's diagnosing from videotape on the air, said then-executive director of the National Alliance on Mental Illness, Michael Fitzpatrick, to the Washington Post. It's unethical to do that sort of pop psychology. You don't do that for ratings. This is a human being. Um, yeah, you shouldn't diagnose from videotape. You should diagnose with you know the person in the room so you can ask them questions and see their reactions. A spokesperson for Dr. Phil at the time said that Dr. Phil never labeled the child as mentally ill, which is technically true. He merely brought up Jeffrey Dahmer. So, you know, as you do. <laughs> um, one article I found also pointed out that unlike the Ellen show, Dr. Phil will probably not be canceled. Like it's totally possible there's something lurking under the surface covered up by NDAs that Dr. Phil did that will at some point like be released. But Dr. Phil's entire brand is how like he's the tough talking guy who knows how to communicate to people. And if it comes out that his entire show is just a bunch of tough talking, you know, no nonsense individuals, that fits the brand. Right. The problem with the Ellen show is the Ellen show was all about how Ellen was nice and great. And then it turned out she was secretly like a horrible person behind the scenes. But if you have someone who already is a horrible person on camera, anything that reaffirms that he's like willing to do whatever it takes to get it done is going to be good for ratings. So that's a big problem. Now, we've rambled for a bit about Dr. Phil, and I feel it's worth kind of bringing it back to the topic of our podcast, and that is the book in question, Dr. Phil Relationship Rescue. Uh, this is a book he released in the early 2000s. Um, it is his first book, kind of jumping off of his popularity on The Oprah Show, where he discusses strategies for improving your relationship. What's interesting about this is Dr. Phil, over his time as like a published author, has sold 30 million copies. Six different books have sold 30 million copies, which means on average, they've sold about 6 million copies apiece. Naomi, Think Like a Man, Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man by Steve Harvey, sold about 2 million copies. So I don't know I how many- get a movie. That's my question. You're right. There really should be a relationship rescue movie. That's, yeah. that's what we're missing out on. Yeah, they talk um, about how Dr. Phil got um, uh, his marriage annulled, his first marriage annulled. <laughs> There's going to just... be a protagonist that's clearly him, who's just like this bald teenager with a mustache who like has really good luck with the ladies. Yeah. And he's he, always like... at the gym being like, you know, you could do some exercises to help your muscle. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. So I, again, I don't know how many this specific book sold, but like, it's very likely this book had greater of a presence on in like people's lives and in like popular culture than act like lady think like a man did arguably three times as greater of an impact. So Steve Harvey, we said, had spent far too much time on the New York Times bestselling list peddling like horrendous information. And meanwhile, you have Dr. Phil in the background, like slowly infiltrating people's thoughts without like any comment. And just imagine uh, Dr. Phil in everyone's mind after they read this book. I am sorry. I did refer to this as Dr. Phil's Relationship Rescue, but that is not the book in question that we are talking about. We're actually talking about Love Smart, which is about dating. He has multiple books. Yes, we have two. Uh, we, we started on Love Smart. We will get to Relationship Rescue at some point. The reason I wanted to make it clear that it's Love Smart, Love Smart was released in December 2005. In January of 2006, the New York Times published an article which said that Dr. Phil has just been hired as Match.com's first celebrity spokesman. Dr. Phil, a self-describing life strategist strategist who offers folksy advice on his syndicated daytime talk show, will star in an advertising campaign for Match.com that will have its debut on Sunday. Again, this is in January of 2006, less than a month after the book is released. So Dr. Phil, in the book Love Smart, into, talks a lot about online dating and how it's really important that despite your preconceived notions about online dating, everyone's doing it. So you'd better, you know, get on the saddle and join the rat race. So I I can't really, you know, say how much of an impact this had, but Match.com had significant growth after Dr. Phil started promoting them. And Dr. Phil had a financial interest in promoting them, which he did not disclose in the book. So a little bit of unethical stuff there, but I don't know. It's not the worst thing he's done. What do we uh, expect before, from Dr. Phil? Yeah. Before we get into the book proper, I just want to wrap this up by saying that Dr. Phil is a no-nonsense, tough-talking asshole whose entire brand is based on exploitation and the fact he has some semblance of authority. The more egregious the patient, the greater the episode for him. And if advice fails to help them, which it has on multiple occasions, it just proves they need more screaming and tough talk. He can't lose. While I do think newcomers who are completely unfamiliar with his brand might not like his attitude, the people who are reading this, people who bought it day one, are fans. So my guess is, based upon this book, and this is something you should look out for, he's probably going to be unnecessarily mean in this text. He's probably going to suggest unnecessary extra treatments in this text for things that like don't necessarily have like a basis in science. And he's probably going to ignore or downplay mitigating circumstances in favor of picking apart supposed personal defects on the part of the people reading. Um, I don't know how you do that if you can't like tailor it directly to individuals, but I, I think his advice is going to be broad brushing enough that he's going to have the opportunity to criticize people, whether or not it's actually their fault. I completely agree. So we will be jumping into Love Smart right after this. Welcome back to the midpoint of the episode. Where we have a midpoint drink. This definitely wasn't recorded at a different time and geographic location than the first part of this episode. 2023, the year of having multiple drinks in an episode. The only podcast that samples multiple drinks per episode. That's why you subscribe. Naomi, what are we sampling mid-episode today? It's the Jaritos mango flavor. I already tasted it while we were doing test audios and I don't like it. What even is that? It's not mango. Yeah, that's like... All the other ones are pretty accurate and this one sucks. This is like mango pulp that's been watered down significantly. 
Yeah. You ever have like pure mango pulp from like yeah. a can or yeah. 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 It is not my favorite. Yeah. Haritos do better. We got that like giant pack and we're still going through them. We're still going through them. Yeah. But now we have all the gross sodas that I bought. So Yeah, I like blessed. made a a cabinet area specifically for drinks because I put them in the bar area like, mm-hmm. of my house and they were taking up too much room and I was like, fuck this, I have to find like a, I have to like designate an entire shelf just for drinks that Joel brought home. It's great. I cause problems. Yep. Nail me. Let us jump right in to Love Smart with Dr. Phil. What do you mean? We're in the middle of an episode. That's true. <laughs> what, would I, what am I thinking? Okay, so the first thing that Dr. Phil does when he opens up the book is he talks about his impetus for writing the book. Um, and one of the things he notices is that a lot of people in their day-to-day can't seem to catch a break when it comes to dating. You know what I'm talking about, Naomi? Yes, I do. It's almost like we started an entire podcast on that premise. <laughs> So he gives some examples of emails that he and his show have been sent over the years, and none of them are particularly funny, but the fact he includes them is interesting. In all honesty, at this point in my life, being desperate seems like the good old days. I was on a blind date two weekends ago, and we couldn't meet at a club because being in a place that served liquor would violate his parole. I don't need someone to throw me a life preserver. I need someone to pull me out of the lonely waters and perform CPR. Uh, You can tell this was sent in by someone who watched a lot of Baywatch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the last date I had was with a computer guy who spent hours telling me why Windows ruled. By the time he was alone, I was just looking for one to jump out of. That's I feel pretty, like that's, that's pretty, a little... Yeah. yeah, but that's a little cliche at this point. Like, I've heard that so many times. Looking for a window to jump out of? Yeah. After to, you go on a to, date yeah. and someone says Windows rules? Yes. <laughs> And then my favorite, I quit. This one account network is built like a footstool and smells like peanut butter. You know, the classic combination. But she came in Monday with an engagement ring the size of a grape. I, on the other hand, sorted coupons all weekend. She's calling friends, telling them she's planning a wedding. I'm calling mine and telling them that Tuesday I'm planning on getting 40 cents off a can of Pledge. I think it's pronounced coupons. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for increasing the uh, the classiness of this uh, lowbrow podcast. You're now. so welcome. So Dr. Phil is like, hey, I recognize that people have issues dating. But then he takes a weirdly feminist stance. If you can't find the guy you want or don't know how to fix the guy you got, you and I are about to change that in a major way. If you're up at night wondering why everyone around you, except you, is in great relationships, getting engaged, getting married, having kids, and zooming right along in life, then you and I are about to change that in a major way. If you're not finding that special someone uh, who can light you up from the inside out, you are getting shortchanged, and we're definitely going to fix that. Something isn't right. Something is out of whack. What makes it even worse is that I believe with great certainty that this special someone does exist. He is out there. You may have already met him. You may even have a relationship with him, but you just can't move it to the next level. Or maybe you're married to him, but the sizzle has started to fizzle. I do not now believe, nor have I ever believed, that any woman has to be married or have a man in her life in order to be whole, complete, or vitally alive. Having a man in your life is something that can be good if you find the right one. It's healthy to want and have a boyfriend or husband, not at the same time, of course, but this is not something that you need or must have. Getting married is not something you must do. So I'm like, okay, that's 
decent advice. I appreciate that unlike Steve Harvey, Dr. Phil, Phil McGraw, I'm sorry, he's not a practicing doctor, Naomi, he just keeps the title. He seemingly recognizes that not all women find purpose and completion through a man. But have you noticed the other thing that he like brings up that's a little weird? He said completion through a man. <laughs> Boy, we're really, <laughs> this podcast is going places in 2023. <laughs> Anything about that sentence that seems a little off in this day and age? Um, the fact that that's not the way that Tim Mag- <laughs> different person that's not the way that dr phil like says okay that's not the issue with the statement i think i know what you're fishing at it's just the fact that people are trying to find completion in other people uh, n- not exactly what i was going for it's the fact that lesbians exist oh yeah that and is psychiatry has recognized that lesbians and gay individuals exist for quite a while yeah but and the fact that dr phil it? excludes this is telling because dr phil is both someone who like is a trained psychologist psychiatrist whatever he doesn't practice i don't care um <laughs> but simultaneously doesn't tell his audience like what a trained professional would tell them he tells the audience of oprah what they want to hear and what the audience of oprah won't accept most likely in 2005 is the fact that lesbians exist and can pursue happiness you think that you didn't think there was any lesbians watching oprah in 2005 oh no I, I think there were lesbians i just don't think the average oprah listener wants to hear about lesbians they don't want to crack open a book and be confronted with you know the gay agenda in 2005 2006 Seems unlikely to me. Now, in fairness, Ellen did exist at this time and yes. place. I'm not, like, saying that there were no but gay people at this period. I'm just saying that Dr. Phil is <sighs> fudging his help in order to appeal to a broader audience. Yeah. Okay, I don't know. That may be a theme we return to time and time again. So he says that in order for you to pursue what you truly want in life, which obviously probably is a man. Yeah. Um, doesn't have to be, but could be, is you need to claim what you want, Naomi. Mm-hmm. you got to claim, C-L-A-I-M. It yeah. took me a second. I forgot how to spell it. I thought you were going to spell clam. Uh, <laughs> you got to claim what you want, Naomi. So cl- claim is an acronym. It stands for create, locate, attract, inspire, and marry. Create a clear vision of what you want. Locate the person you want to do it with. Attract him like a magnet inspire him to want what you want long-term, marry him, and get busy being happy. Isn't that just manipulation and coercion? No, I mean, he's like, you need to advertise yourself. He's very much about, like, building a personal brand because that's how he's found happiness in this cruel, cruel world Yeah, but by having a mustache he can't ever change and keeping his head (laughs) bald and with weird sideburns. Isn't it entirely, the entire premise of a relationship is to compromise everything and him saying that like, oh, you need to like make the person want what you want, just undo it. You're going too deep too fast. Okay, we're okay, we're okay. at the surface okay. level. Um, I was thinking this sounded more like The Secret, which was another very popular book series around the same time. And The Secret is like, you gotta visualize what you want. And that's how Einstein and Socrates and all the great minds of the world invented the secrets of the universe oh i'm serious you don't remember the secret i do remember that i was just trying to understand that the way that they were thinking about that yeah obviously not true i did find it funny too that he like has this big acronym of claiming and he never returns to it again i don't think claim is brought up anywhere else in the text so it's good that he's creating tools and then it's really bad that he's like 
Now that you've learned what a hammer is, we will never pound any nails. <laughs> so he starts after that and says, what's wrong is not you. I repeat, the problem is not you. You are not a bad person. You are not failing to get a wonderfully rewarding relationship because you are not worthy of it. In fact, I believe to the absolute core of my soul that you are about to discover a huge secret. Me? It's you, yeah. In fact, I believe it is the best kept secret in the life, in your life. You! The secret is not only being hidden from the people you see every day, bond with, or dream of marrying, is being kept from you. The second thing I know for absolute, drop-dead certain, is that you're not thinking right or playing the game well. Otherwise, you would have what you want. Damn, calling me out like that. Yeah, I, I don't know, like... There are probably people who play the game very poorly, but just happen to be, like, hot or rich. Mm -hmm. So, like, I don't know if playing the game well is necessarily indicative of success. And I'm sure there's people who, like, play the game well in, like, rural Alaska. And there's not a lot of people that, like, they consider, like, worthy of dating. Yeah. So, I don't know. The, the game may exist in certain areas, but it seems very much like a city perspective where there's hundreds of thousands of potential partners out there compared to... A lot of the world. Call me crazy. He also says that I agree that selecting a life partner and making the decision to walk the aisle is a decision of gravity and deserves the utmost in contemplation, prayer, and consideration. But the process that gets you there is a game, and a game that has to be played loose and fun if you want to win. You've got to play the game without sweaty palms. You'll never get what you're looking for. I don't know. I, I, I think that's an interesting perspective, saying it's both like incredibly serious and that it should be fun. I don't think that saying it's both of those things is necessarily helpful, though. Like, either treat it as a serious thing and give, like, serious advice or treat it as a fun thing and give advice you don't need to take too seriously. But he's just trying to have it both ways, right? Well, it kind of is. It's like you have to be serious in the sense of, like, you can have fun while going on dates and, like, mm -hmm. doing the whole thing. But then you have to get serious about, like, okay, is this person someone that I want to go home with? Is this person that I feel safe with? Is yeah. this a person? So I think it he is right in that sense, but it's not, like, all fun and all serious all at the same time. Sure. I don't know. It, it feels similar to a common thing theme in a lot of rom-coms of the area where it's like a woman's only purpose is to get married and if she doesn't get married before she's 30 and a hag she's gonna die alone this summer jack black and gwyneth <laughs> paltrow in maid of honor uh, a knight's tale <laughs> i don't know i'm, I'm riffing here. I, you said blackjack and gwyneth blackjack <laughs> <laughs> You said Jack Black and Gwyneth Paltrow, and I was like, didn't they do a movie together opposite of each other? They, there was one, wasn't there a movie where he was like, Shallow Hal, where he was like a guy who was incredibly shallow, and then yeah. a witch cursed yeah, yeah, yeah. him or something? Yeah, yeah, and then she was like, Was she in that movie? I thought that was like Christy, Kristen Dunst? No, I don't think Kristen Dunst was in that movie. I, I think it was Gwyneth Paltrow. Could be. Naomi, your, your job for the episode <laughs> is to figure out if it was Gwyneth Paltrow or not. Well, after giving all of this okay advice uh dr phil uh goes in a d d different direction he is both thin and fat phobic at the same time yep. he's like i know that there are also women out there that you love to hate because they seem to have it all going on they're young fit stick thin energetic and cute you're thinking how can i compete with that i've got legs like stumps this is a genetic betrayal that is my legacy i'm destined to die alone 
Well, snap out of it, Naomi. I can promise you, you don't need or want to be some beauty queen model that spends her days on the runway. She may very well be home starving or puking up the dinner she just pigged out on, looking in the mirror and saying the same things you say or worse. Besides, I can't tell you how many men I've heard look at those women and say, Good grief! I've seen more meat on antlers! She needs to spend a little more time at the buffet! I've never heard a man say, That woman needs to gain weight. In my entire life. Yeah, I think he may be exaggerating. That, 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 look, it's, it's not to say that, like, men don't have, like, a wide range of things that they're attracted to. But I, I think he's, he's overhyping and trying to cover up the shallowness of a lot of men. Oh, for sure. Um, I, I think it's totally plausible that men may might f- fall in love with someone they don't find immediately attractive. But simultaneously, like... This is a dating book for women, and it's telling that he never wrote a dating book for men. He's like, men, you're okay. No problems. Women, um, sort yourself out. Get your shit together. I heard this theory recently that men don't get married to the woman that they love. They get married to the woman that they are with when they want to get married. And maybe that's just his philosophy is like men don't really care as much as women do about who their partners are at the end of the day. Well, I guess... My question would be, when do men want to get married? Like, like... I have no idea. I, I don't think there's a a cultural construct that says a happy man is a married man. It, it seems that's much more of like a, like a women-centered ideal. It, it, is that wrong? You're making me think of this person that I that I that was on Reddit and that they were talking to someone that was their age, like one of their coworkers, and this guy was talking about how his wife had just had their fourth kid together. Mm-hmm. Same age. These these coworkers are the same age. And the guy goes, Oh, I'm so sorry for bragging, blah blah blah. And he goes, Oh, don't worry. I don't want your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I I I think it I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. So he also thinks it's very important that if you, you know, are focusing on being your best self, you're focusing on attracting others, you have to know who you are from the inside out. You have to recognize who you are and you have to commit to a defined product of how you will present yourself in the social arena. And this is something that I heard mentioned a lot at ASU. Did you ever have like an intro to ASU class where they discussed elevator pitches? Yeah. Where it's like, if you're in an elevator for 30 seconds with your dream job CEO, how are you going to present yourself? And... It's interesting that that idea of like marketing yourself as a person has trickled down from like initially being about products to then being about people in the world of professional stuff. And now it's like in relationships too, where every single dating interaction is like selling yourself as a product. Like Mm -hmm. I've got legs like stumps. My eyes are not as far apart as they could be. I am really into death metal and I'll watch anime with you. This is my pitch, Naomi. How am I doing so far? <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it, it's interesting that that trend uh, started. Uh, I don't know; it may have been earlier than this, but uh, Doctor Phil is certainly, you know, getting into it, and that's one of the big things he commits to as an idea throughout the book. He one thing that he kind of ignores is that a lot of this is doing it by yourself, like sitting down and writing lists and like going through characteristics, trying to figure out what's important to you. And he never seems to think, "What if you ask your friends and family?" This is not a book where, like, if you have friends and family, you should utilize them. But to me, that seems like an optimal strategy if you're trying to figure out, like, why would people be attracted to me? What are some of my good qualities? I think asking the people who enjoy spending time with you 
might be helpful. Um, they probably will be able to come up with a list of concrete traits that they appreciate about you a little bit easier than you. You never asked me what your good qualities were. My, my stumpy legs. <laughs> your stumpy, you look like a footstool. I look like a footstool and I smell like, like peanut, peanut butter. butter. <laughs> <laughs> but I got the ring, Naomi. I got the ring. How, how would you market yourself, Naomi? Um... See, I always found that when I was on. She's TV got Narcan, boys. I got Narcan. <laughs> Please don't. Please don't. No, I always um, found that when I was on dating apps and like actively dating people, I found that even if like I was the most interesting girl in the room, it didn't matter because they were just looking for a good lay. And you're not a good lay. <laughs> <laughs> Damn! Don't put yourself down like that. Okay, so chapter two is called The Character of Him, and he opens with a quote by Bruce Willis. On one hand, we'll never experience childbirth. On the other hand, we can open our own jars. Ugh, R.E.P. Bruce Willis. He's not dead. <laughs> <laughs> he will be after this recording when we cancel him. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting that Phil included that. I get that Phil is like, I tell it how it is. But also simultaneously, this is a book about like women uh, actualizing themselves and he's like, women, you're all weak and pathetic. He's and that's like, what men think of you. He's like, figure out what you want. It's like, I want a man to open my charts. Mm -hmm. That's all I want. Were you the one that told me that anecdote about that woman that yeah. was talking to her mom? And she was like... Mom, I like girls. And, and her mother's first reaction was like, well, who's going to open jars? <laughs> and it's like, that's the only thing men can do is open jars. Which, wow, that's uh, really sexist. <laughs> it's not like toxic masculinity at all. Um, he also uses the title of the book in this first section because he says, um, if you're going to love smart, then you got to date smart. So the entire book, Love Smart, is about like how to improve how you think about love and like how you approach love. Um, so he says in order to figure out like how you're going to date, you have to figure out what you consider to be a quality guy. You have to figure it out before you start in order to like avoid a lot of the low quality guys who are out there. He doesn't give a lot of details, but he also is like, uh, if they've ever been a criminal or if they have drug addictions, drop it like it's hot, girl, or something. That seems like something Dr. Phil would say. Don't worry, man. I have Narcan. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, there are certain people who you shouldn't waste your time with. And it's like, boy, Phil, really writing off a significant chunk of the human race. It's not like we have a problem with over-policing, putting people in prison in this country, but that, that's a different podcast. Dr. Phil way. seems like a... A Blue Lives Matter man. <laughs> Dr. Phil has beaten someone unconscious with a billy club. Now, again, this is the return of the Dr. Phil feminist. Um, here's an attitude adjustment for you. Decide right now that you would rather be happy alone than miserable with someone else. Decide you will not choose some guy out of fear that you may not get a better choice later. For example, if you know a guy who drinks too much, has a difficult personality, and hates kids, he's no good to you unless you're writing a country song. He may be fun for the night, but there's no chance for a future because he has deal-breaking characteristics or values. You need to be paying attention to those and hitting the door even if it means go home alone. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't think that's bad advice. I appreciate that Phil is like, now women don't date women, but it's okay to be lonely. It's okay to live with your cats by yourself in the woods. Don't worry about it. I've never heard of a cat lady living out in the middle of the woods. Uh, it combines the two like dream lifestyles, being a, a witch in a cottage and having a bunch of cats. 
Imagine if it was Hansel and Gretel, but the house was made of cat snail me. Is this your dream that you're manifesting out loud? I was really woozy earlier. I had some some interesting uh, visions, we'll call them. So how is it that you figure out, like, your dream man? Well, the first thing, Naomi, is you have to start with your deal breakers. And I got to ask, what are your deal breakers? Um, no you, peanut butter. No peanut butter. You can't look like a footstool. <laughs> you can't make me make, make me use my Narcan on you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to watch Dr. Phil with you every afternoon. Yeah. Ellen, out of the question, too. Mm-hmm. That's it? Oh, were you asking my actions? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so my, um, you can't, obviously, deal breakers. Um, you can't be physically, mentally, emotionally, or sexually abusive. Ooh. Um, That's a good thing. That wasn't like, that, <laughs> I was a fan of those things, for the record. Um, you can't do drugs, like heavy drugs. Like, obviously, natural drugs are different, but I'm just, like, very... Free range drugs, yeah. factory farm drugs. Not no, I'm just very against like people that, you know, I've had like, I've told this um, story on the podcast a bunch, but like that one guy that I went on a date with and we went back to his apartment and he just like started racking a line on his, on his kitchen table. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, that's not very attractive. Um, you can't make me feel like I'm unsafe. Um, I love red flag is not being able to communicate properly because I'm a firm believer that a lot of men didn't grow up, um, learning how to communicate and Mm -hmm. that's not a woman's job. Um, if they're attracted to women to, to get them to like learn how to properly communicate, that's a big red flag. What are some of your deal burgers? Oh God. Why why are you asking things about me? Communication is important. Yes. I, I think people who can speak calmly about concerns, um, that's, that's very good. Um, I, I feel if like by your late 20s, you haven't figured out how to speak to people respectfully and you tend to blow up at like the slightest thing. Yeah, that's that's not a relationship I want to be in. Someone who likes food, wide range of flavors. That's um, a deal breaker for you? No, no. Someone who enjoys food is, is a good <laughs> someone thing. Who someone who doesn't do, like to... Yeah, someone who eats like a very plain diet. Yeah, uh, someone who doesn't like to try anything. Uh, yeah, I, I like cooking a wide range of different dishes and someone who doesn't like those, we, we may not get along. Um, I've really fought in this relationship, but Lauren has put her foot down and refuses to you know, eat normal people things like pickles and olives, which bothers okay. me. I'll but, eat pickles and olives eat you any day. Aw, thank you, Naomi. Yeah, and then I, I think, like, uh, a focus on personal growth is really important to me. It's a deal breaker if someone's like, I finished high school. And it's not to say that, like, you're smarter just because you've had more college. I think, you know, it's totally fine if you have a high school or even if you didn't finish high school. It's just important that, like, you become a lifelong learner in some capacity. So whether that's, like, learning how to do things around the house, picking up, like, personal artistic projects and expression, taking, like, a class like karate or, you know, boxing or dance or something. Like, just doing something to improve as a person Reading and not stagnate. Books. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not a fan of people whose, like, sole personality trait is all the Netflix they watch. It's fine to watch Netflix, don't get me wrong. It's just do other things. I, I appreciate people who make, not just consume. Okay. Thank you. Now, after Dr. Phil has said all these feminist things, he follows that up with this great anecdote. Um, uh, what, what do you make of this? Now, he says, I know it's hard to ignore what our parents, friends, and society in general say we should want. Still, you cannot pick your partner according to others' expectations. Michael, my friend of 20 years, will tell you to this day that he married his wife because he had a terrible bad boy reputation in their small town, and he wanted to redeem himself by being with a goody two-shoes who all the mothers just loved. She was Susie Q's sweetheart, the dream daughter and daughter-in-law. Marrying her made him respectable, or so he thought. 
It was exactly what his parents wanted him to do. He even thought of himself as more virtuous because he married the good girl. But guess what? He's been miserable for 25 years now because he doesn't love her. <gasps> he never did. <gasps> Ever since they married, he's cheated on her left and right and occasionally sideways. He's always arraigned a bad boy to his core. He lacks certain traits and characteristics that should have been a deal breaker for her, but she was tired of being the good girl and she wanted to walk on the wild side, so they both used each other to externally validate themselves. You don't want to do that. You have to decide what you truly want. How? My first question is how do you cheat on someone sideways? And my second question is, um, why would you not just get a divorce? And trees. the wise words of the person that trained me this week for my new job, <laughs> the divorce rate's 50%. Why not just try it? An answer to the question, oh, this is interesting. If you up, down, are yeah. those different sexes or are those like attractiveness? Are we talking about sex? I think up would be... Sex? You've cheated? Are you mentioning yeah, the he up, said, down? Yeah, okay. cheating up okay, and down. Okay, I'm thinking... Up, down, so like north, south, sideways is like east or west. Yeah. There you go. Well, well, but but my question is, what does that mean? Like, is up like He's men, traveling. down north, is women, south, east no. is trees, west is like... Furries. Uh, <laughs> well, the, 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 I, I'm thinking like more like earth, like those people who have like sex with boulders or whatever. Oh. Oh, did you hear about the person that was involved with the Golden Gate Bridge? <laughs> involved with the golden gate bridge uh i did not and i think we can move on oh wait i did want to point out that dr phil is friends with cheaters and seemingly thinks that perfectly a-okay he's like already some people talked are about cheaters the fact that he had a first wife who he divorced because she didn't have a big enough rack mm-hmm. oh i forgot to mention that under my deal breakers mm-hmm. i will divorce any partner if they don't lift weights to improve their bust line Mm, yeah. yeah, any woman who's not focused on the self-improvement of her bus line. Oof, that's uh, that's a no from me, dog. So, Naomi. Yes. You figured out what your deal breakers are. Yes. But your standards are too high. Okay. I'm sorry. So he says the 100% candidate who fits all of your desires doesn't exist. That's right. The yeah. perfect fit is a myth right up there with painless dentistry and painless waxing. If you really believe there's a perfect fit, then you're probably still checking your messages for that guy you met at the club last year who promised you'd call. He'd call. If you think you found the perfect man, don't shout it from the rooftops, Naomi. Go home. Settle down. Take it as a sign that love is blind and you're kidding yourself. What I'm telling you is you need to find a guy who has 80% of what you want in a partner. The other 20% you can grow. If the guy has 80% of what you want and potential to grow the extra 20%, you need to bag that boy up because he's good to go. I don't like this conversation. Put him in a bag, <laughs> tie chains around it, drag him out to the desert, threaten make him at gunpoint. Uh, make him Yeah, dig, make him dig his own grave and then be like, if you don't marry me, you're going in that hole. <laughs> yeah. So I do think... He gives some genuinely good advice for how to think about and conceptualize the things you want in, like, a per- partner. I think it's easy to say figure out what you want, but, like, just starting fresh, that's not very helpful. And I think more dating books should give, like, sort of inspiration guides for people. Kind of like a Pinterest board, you know? <laughs> like, pick out all your ideal man characteristics. Um, but, yeah, I, I think this is helpful advice. He's like, go through the following five lists and circle everything you can imagine as a desirable trait to your special someone. Start with a long list, and then we'll pare it down afterwards. So personality. 
Are you looking for an extrovert or quiet guy? Do you want someone emotionally expressive or a strong silent type, a leader or a follower? Are you a free spirit who couldn't imagine being with someone who wants to make plans? Or do you enjoy structure and need a guy who wouldn't mind scheduling every last hour of the week? Your preferences here should be made with full consideration of what would complement or compensate for the personality. Some things you might prefer simply because they sound like admirable qualities and that's fine, but take time to think about characteristics that would have the best long-term fit for who you truly are. So do you want someone who's funny, someone who's serious, someone who's a leader, someone who boosts my ego with plenty of praise, someone who's supportive and intellectual, emotional, street smart, honest, sensual, motivated, stable, carefree, spontaneous, unpredictable, organized, responsible, dangerous, independent, dependent, talkative, confident, wise, disciplined. Um, I think it's interesting that he gives examples of like independent and dependent. So independent, how he describes it is, I'm looking for someone who likes to spend a lot of time apart and allows me to do the same. He never makes me feel any pressure or makes me feel that I'm responsible for his emotions. And then dependent, I feel certain that he'll never leave me because he would be lost without me. That's important because I don't handle emotional pain well alone. I thought it was interesting that he includes all these characteristics. One, accepting that there's a lot of different things people might be looking for and not putting a lot of judgment on that, so good on him. But also, it varies pretty considerably from what, say, Steve Harvey has to say about what women are looking for. Do you recall what women are looking for, Naomi? Uh, they're looking for... Um men that live in Vegas and uh, oh you got it all wrong you've got it all <laughs> wrong uh they're they're, they're looking for a, a, a provider Naomi they're looking for someone that they can rely upon and mm -hmm. if that person makes less money than they do you they have, have to give to them fake money it. Yeah, yeah you have to fake it fake uh, it like you don't make that amount of money and make the other your your man make him feel like a man yeah so like steve harvey doesn't really believe that women are looking for uh, um well well how, how do i phrase this steve harvey i think has a much more dim view about what what women and men are looking for he has a a very specific type of woman that he's writing about who may or may not exist and dr phil on the other hand is like you can date whoever you want i i'm gonna stop doing my dr phil yeah, impersonation actually no i'm probably gonna continue doing it but i'm gonna pretend that i've stopped so the uh the next time i bring it up it'll be even uh, worse and have more of a dramatic effect uh, second category would be social skills. Are you looking for a family guy who plays a lot of games and does stuff at home, a homebody, a late night raver, a night crawler, a political crusader, a corporate entertainer, a networker, a philanthropist, a sports enthusiast, a jet setter, socializer, someone who's couple crazy, a dinner party thrower, dinner party goer, dinner party avoider, nature lover, athlete, good provider, good dad and husband. Relational style. So how do you want this guy to relate to you? What does he stand on the role of finances? Does he believe in a fiscal partnership? Uh, what about parenting styles, sexual issues? Um, so here are some of the examples. Someone who stubbornly demands to get his own way. I don't know why that's something, but good you included it. Open to compromise, inseparable from you, in need of a lot of personal space. Highly sexual, not that sexual. Aloof, compassionate, but remains level-headed. Money motivated and a go-getter. Actively involved parenting. Romantic in all the ways Hallmark would expect. Affectionate or emotionally expressive. Uh, fourth category, spiritual compatibility. Uh, he doesn't say that everyone needs to be uh, religious, uh, but he does say if you're a faithful Christian, maybe you shouldn't marry an atheist and pray for a miracle for the rest of your life. That is a definition of frustration, which is interesting because, again, he's like, hey, some people have different values and that might not work out. Don't kid yourself, which not amazing advice, but that's something, of course. 
Um, so in terms of spiritual compatibility, he's very observant of the same religion as you. He's somewhat observant. He's not at all observant, but comes from the same religious background. Not at all religious, but believes in higher power. Doesn't believe in higher power at all. Doesn't matter what he believes as long as he's open-minded and respectful of your beliefs. And then finally, physical characteristics. Now let's decide what you want him to look like, Naomi. You have like a Mr. Potato doll in front of you. Mr. Potato Head doll. We're going to slap on all the ideal characteristics. Hair color, hairstyle, eye color, age, height, body type, nice voice, things like that. Facial hair, dress style, whatever. So he says you now have your 80% guy, at least on paper. Uh, now that you're through circling your wants, go back through your choices and cross off all the luxury items. And by that, I mean anything that can fall into the 20% of the 80-20 formula. So he says... If all the wrong men are calling you after you've like come up with this list, you've got the opposite problem because you're not being discriminating enough. If too many people are, are calling you, you still need to be more selective. If no one's calling you, maybe you're being too specific. Um, now, again, that could also partially be based off geography, but um, he's like, look... You've come up with your list of characteristics. You've manifested that in some way in your dating life, you know, whether it's a dating profile or, you know, online dating um, or meeting people at, like, I don't know, blind date functions. Um, and if for whatever reason you're, you're still not finding people, it's time to go back and revise the list. But, but I do think starting from this list, starting from, like, a theoretical basis of, like, the partner you kind of want is helpful. Um, I don't know if I want someone who's, like... Skin color. Let me put down my 80-20 preference for that. Not that, even going to touch on that one. Yeah, that, that may be problematic, and it's good he didn't throw that in there, but when you're talking about physical characteristics, um, yeah, I don't know. In uh, 2005, I'm honestly, not, I'm honestly surprised that he didn't include that in there. <laughs> we know his background. It's Dr. Phil. It's yeah. Dr. Phil. Well, with that, Naomi, I think we can wrap up part one of Dr. Phil's Love Smart. Uh, do you feel you've learned anything today? Um... Dr. Phil is the white Steve Harvey. A little bit, yeah. yeah. I feel I've learned Dr. Phil is a huge ass, and yeah. I also feel that that may have developed more over time because as I'm reading, I'm like, mm, this advice seems reasonable. But one thing that I'm kind of speculating about that I expect will become more apparent or less apparent depending on how he develops some ideas in the book is maybe good dating advice is just super boring. Like, maybe advice that doesn't offend people and is really straightforward and might help them isn't actually going to be that controversial and as a result people don't consider it as important or worth pursuing right you have all these like men's rights activists out there who are like gotta treat women like shit here's the secret i'm gonna teach you the secret it's called negging and if guys are falling for that maybe it's because that seems like something that's actually hidden knowledge versus Treat women with platinous and uh, stop doing your Dr. Door. Phil impression. It's really creepy. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll I'll stop for now. Anything else? I think we're good. Okay, well, uh, for all you lonely hearts out there, wash your clothes. Make sure you don't smell like peanut butter.